Well, good evening, everyone. Grace and peace. It is so good uh, to see y'all tonight. As you can see, uh, once again, I'm missing my right-hand man, or I guess my left-hand man, uh, right? Uh, He and Lisa and Jason headed off to Disney Disney World this morning. They're going to be there for eight days. And so uh, uh, thankful that they get an opportunity to be away and to enjoy each other. And so uh, be in prayer for them uh, that they have a great, a great time. Well, tonight uh, we are going to uh, continue in the kind of the same vein that we've been traveling with Jesus uh, the last uh, few weeks. Uh, we talked about the Pharisees, right? The Sadducees. Last week we talked about the, y'all remember? The Zealots. And then today uh, we are going to uh, talk about the Herodians. And uh, we've still got a few more people groups to talk about, focus in on. Uh, people that Jesus would have literally rubbed shoulders with, been around uh, during his uh, life in Galilee, and then as he made his way to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate different festivals, and then of course um, when he went and gave his life uh, for us. Uh, but one thing I want to remind you of uh, when we come to Bible study, uh, and while I'm talking here at the front end, you can turn to Psalm uh, 86. That's what we're going to pray to get, pray tonight as we begin. That when we open God's Word together, it becomes for us what John Wesley called a means of grace. Um, grace, God's grace is uh, everywhere, right? And it's up to us, and I I like to kind of illustrate it this way. Uh, Jesus is our quarterback, and he is throwing us grace all the time. We are, it's what we do is that we have to get into a place where we can see it coming and catch it. And receive it and take it to heart. And when we read scripture together, that becomes a place where we can receive God's grace. And remember what God's grace does. It's a gift to be received that transforms us so that we can then in turn give God's grace away. We become a means of delivering God's grace to others as well. And so it seems like a dry thing to talk about the Herodians. I mean, what in the world? Who are they? Like, when do you even read about them in the Bible? Well, we'll show you uh, for sure. Uh, But how can that be a means of grace to change me and then to change others? One thing I want you to consider tonight is the state of your heart. When you read, when we pray through Psalm 86, I want you to, to listen for a couple things. There's a phrase in the psalm, undivided heart. So listen for that. But then also listen to what y'all probably, y'all probably are sick of me saying this, but the big five, right? Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithful. This is God, this is who God says he is. Does our heart believe it? So let's pray this together as we begin our time. Hear me, Lord, and answer me. For I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord. For I call to you all day long. 
Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deed can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen Amen indeed. Well, the Herodians, um, of course, you could hear Herod in that title, that, that, that word, uh, Herodians. The Herodians were a group of people that were part of Herod the Great's family and those who supported uh, his family. And so Herod just didn't drop out of anywhere. But Herod has just a, a fascinating story. And I kind of want this theme for tonight for y'all to ponder is that the Herodians arose because there were loyalties that divided. If you will remember, uh, if you were with us on Sunday, uh, we talked about Hanukkah. And Jesus was in Jerusalem uh, at least one, one year, and he was in Jerusalem walking around uh, the temple, Solomon's colonnade, uh, who built that temple that he was walking around in. That would be Herod. Uh, Herod did a massive expansion on the temple. He built Solomon's colonnade where Jesus was walking around um, and during that, that festival of Hanukkah. And um, Hanukkah is a result of a group of people. They, they go by two different names. The Hashomians and or the, or the Hasmonians. The Hasmonians and the... Uh, Maccabees. Those are the same group of people, right? The Hasmoneans is really the name. The Hasmonean dynasty is what began when the temple was liberated from the Seleucids, the Greeks, and it was rededicated. And the the Jews experienced about a hundred years of self-autonomy during that time. Well, 
different Hashemians, uh, or Hashemians came into power uh, during that hundred years. And as, as things happen, right, it seems like all good things come to an end because people can't get along, right? And so there were two brothers, uh, Harkonnes II and uh, Aristobulus II, Golly, could they name their people something a little bit easier? Uh, They were fighting. There was a civil war, and they thought, ah, I have a great idea. Pompey, we all know Pompey, right? Uh, And Pompey is one of of the generals, one of uh, Julius Caesar's generals. He's coming towards, and they're both going to go out there and make their case while their side should win. And Pompey's like... I don't care. Let's kill you both. Take you all out. And so he just marches right because these two factions are fighting each other because there is a family divided. March right in and take Jerusalem, uh, no problem. Josephus said in his uh, antiquities, it was because of two brothers that could not get along that we lost autonomy to the Romans. And there you have it. That was about 63 B.C. whenever uh, Pompey came in. And that through, throughout uh, 63 B.C. all the way till 70 A.D., the Romans were in charge to one degree or another in Judea and in Jerusalem. And of course, beyond that as well, all the way till uh, till the 400s uh, A.D. But that's when the temple was destroyed, was in 70 A.D. So, Hasomians, right? And uh, the uh, as they were they were in control, and and uh, then the Romans came in, and then Herod the Great. We're going to talk about him. He's a complicated guy. Uh, Herod the Great was an Idumean. Uh, Edom was a nation below to the south of Judea. So th- in your mind, kind of think of the Dead Sea, kind of the south of, of, the, of uh, the Dead Sea. That's where the uh, Idumea was, the Edomites. Now, if you'll remember your Old Testament, um, who, is, who are the Edomites? Uh, they are the descendants of Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau in Rebekah's womb, fighting it out. Who's the firstborn? Esau is the firstborn. Then Jacob is the heel grabber, and all. So they have this history of conflict, right? Because the firstborn, Esau, should have had the what? The birthright, but he gave it away for a what? Pot of porridge, right? Gives them, so there's all this tension. Well, the Hashomians, who had been just kicked out by the Romans, the Hashomians, uh, just a few uh, decades before, had gone down in, into Idumea and taken over the country and forced everyone to convert to Judaism, which is not the way it's supposed to work. Um, one of the things I like to say is that God is no bully. The Israelites are called to be a light to the nations, not a hammer to them. And so uh, so Herod's uh, 
grandparents and parents are forced to convert to Judaism. So by the time Herod is born, uh, he becomes, even though he's not Jewish uh, by birth, uh, he is practicing uh, the Jewish religion because the Hashemians force them uh, to convert. And so as things kind of start to progress and uh, Pompey comes in and then lo and behold, uh, Herod's dad, uh, golly, trying to find my notes. Herod's dad, uh, Antipar is his name, have these funny names, right? Uh, Antipar is, uh, becomes friends with Julius Caesar. So it's so interesting that all these people, they, they know each other and they overlap with each other. So interesting. And Mark Anthony, they become close friends. Their family becomes close friends with Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony. And y'all know what happens uh, to Julius Caesar. He gets murdered uh, by the Senate. And who are the two factions that kind of arise out of that chaotic moment? Octavian or Caesar, that will soon be called, become Caesar Augustus, and Mark Antony, they engage in this massive uh, civil war. And so Mark, uh, Octavian or, or, or uh, Augustus kind of goes to the north. Mark Antony kind of goes to the south and towards uh, Egypt, kind of in that direction from Italy, and kind of goes moves down that way. And as Herod... Herod gets gets to uh, gets elevated to become governor of Judea, and he pledges his allegiance to his good friend Mark Antony. Do y'all know the rest of the story? Mark Antony married to Cleopatra, right? They get to Egypt, and there's a decisive battle. And Mark Anthony loses. So as Augustus is heading back, consolidating his power, guess who he has to have a conversation with? This leader of Judea, king of the Jews, Herod. What does Herod do when uh, he is faced with someone who he knows that he was not supported by? What do you do? You know what Herod did? He's so cunning. He's so sly. He says, you know, in not so, in not so many words, I guess, I opposed you. But just notice how loyal I was to Mark Antony. And I will be that exact, that, that just as loyal to you. And Caesar Augustus said yes. And let him stay in power. Gave him more power. Um, and one of the things that we find out is that um, Herod uh, married, going back to the beginning of the conversation, to consolidate his power. The Jews did not like him. They wanted the Hashemians uh, to be in power. And so uh, in a very political move, he married a princess of the Hashemian dynasty. Um, and they got married, and they had kids, and he loved her. They were married for 13 years, and then there was a scheme. There was a scheme to get him ousted, 
and uh, he became very, very suspicious that his wife was involved. His wife, two of his sons, his mother-in-law, his wife's brother, uh, his wife's father, all of them were killed, dead, because he was very, very suspicious that they were trying to kick him out of power. So this is the same dude that when the wise men come to uh, Jerusalem seeking out the one who was born king of the Jews, it's the same guy that then said, all right, here this is happening, so I'm going to take care of this. And every child, two years old and under, that lives in Jerusalem or in Bethlehem, going to kill them. So you see how somebody has the capacity to do that when they already have a history of doing it. Sons of Herod. Anybody have any questions yet about this guy? All right. Sons of Herod, because whenever you read the New Testament, your head will start spinning because of all the Herods that are in the Bible. It's like, God, what? So the, whenever you're in, in the front end of Matthew, so this is why, the way I like to say, when you're early in the Gospels, like Matthew chapter 1, uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, uh, and uh, Luke chapter 2, that Herod is Herod the Great. The one who became the client king uh, of the Jews in Judea and in Jerusalem and in that whole uh, western or eastern Mediterranean area. He ruled there uh, by the edict, you might say, of the Romans. He was a Roman puppet ruler, client king. That's early in the Gospels. Now, when you get to when Jesus was in, uh, in ministry, the Herod that they're talking about there is Herod Antipas. Now, whatever, remember, they had to leave Bethlehem because of the slaughter, right? And they went to Egypt. And Joseph was alerted in a dream, hey, the one that is seeking your child's life has died. Herod the Great died in 4 B.C., so Jesus was most likely then born 6 B.C. to 4 B.C. BC-ish. Uh, there's a big hiccup in the calendar. And so we would assume that Jesus was born in 0 A.D., right? It's not the case. It's probably, my guess, it's 6, uh, 6 A.D., 6 B.C., sorry, 6 B.C. And so whenever uh, Joseph and Mary are headed back up to Bethlehem, uh, they're like, whoa, this guy named Archelaus, it's one of Herod's sons, he's just as bad as his dad. And that's why they end up going back uh, to Nazareth. When they go to Nazareth, the person who is ruling in, Na- in Nazareth at the time was Herod Antipas. So later in his ministry, uh, when you read Herod, that is Antipas. He is the one that had John the Baptist's head cut off. That's Antipas. Antipas is the one who uh, wanted desperately to meet Jesus so that that he could see Jesus perform one of the miracles that Herod had heard about. Um, 
in the middle of all this, uh, Herod, at least it was told, and we'll get to that here in a little bit, um, at least the Pharisees told Jesus that Herod is trying to kill you. This is Herod uh, Antipost. Now, one of the things that all of these Herods struggle with, and this goes back to the theme for the night, you could have a person or a group that you become divided with, like a sibling. Or like like in our nation, we're divided right and left, blue and red, Republican, Democrat, liberal, uh, conservative. You, that in division, like di, like deep seated division, can never end in a good place. In these stories in Scripture, they teach us this, right? Jesus says, "A house divided against itself." I mean, y'all believe that? Like when he it wouldn't come on. And so when we see division, it's like it's worth pondering what is my place in healing the division and bringing people back together but you can also be divided within yourself that was the, the phrase in the psalm, psalm 86 give me an undivided heart, why would David pray that? because he knows that he has this tendency to give himself over to the trust of God or to trust in his own power and wit and might. So the Herods had this massive problem on their hand. All of them. They wanted on the one hand to have all this power and control that the Romans were giving them. In order to maintain that, who did they have to please? The Romans. And like when Herod would build cities or help rebuild the temple, expand the temple, all of these Roman elements would be woven into the architecture, probably because he liked it, but more likely to show, to give pleasure to the Romans. What is it like to build a city? And this grand city on the coast. And you make this beautiful harbor, man-made harbor, so all of this trade can come into it. And if you're Herod, what do you name it? Caesarea. It's like, Pastor Kurt always does a good job. It's the way to kiss royal butt. (laughs) Right? Uh, You just name it after the person who you're trying to please. Right? So that's on the one hand, you've got to please the Romans. But most Jews hate the Romans. Most Jews feel like the Romans are robbing them of life, robbing them of autonomy, making them pay taxes. Um, whenever you ponder all the leaders, that, that the, the Roman leaders, some of them have been helpful in helping them maintain their religion. Others have basically made it really, really hard to continue to practice their way of life. So, (laughs) who do you please? All of them had to, they believed, 
had to practice this division of heart. Now, you've probably done that some in your life. We all have. And when we find ourselves in a place that is divided, does it drive you crazy? It's really a hard place to be. Trying to please everyone. And all of the Herods find themselves in this place, and it could be that's the reason why all of them go crazy. If you'll turn to your Bibles, and we'll have it up on the screen, Mark chapter 12. I just want to just read some verses to you about how these three groups, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees, all just uh, kind of come together and kind of collide. Later... They sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. We actually read this story last week. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Do you see what they're saying? We see that you have a what? An undivided heart. Because you don't pay attention to, to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we, should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. That Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is to Caesar, and to God, God, what is God's. And they were amazed. Next slide. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came with a question. And he has this conversation with them about the law of levirate marriage. And uh, he blows them out of the water. And so all three of these groups, they hate each other number one, but they became unified in their feeling threatened and hating Jesus. Pharisees hated Jesus because he he basically called into question their allegiance to the traditions of of the elders. Remember that fence that's built around the law, right? The the Herodians uh, did not like uh, him because uh, Jesus challenged uh, as, you know, John the Baptist being in, in that, in, in Jesus' uh, kind of the family of followers, you might say. Man, he just, they just challenged him. Challenged the way that they were living his, John the Baptist challenged the way he was living his life. And, and they did not like that. Um, and the Sadducees, uh, both the Sadducees and the Herodians did not like Jesus because of all of these massive crowds that were following him. That scared them. Because they, of all the groups, they were most concerned with holding on to their power. And Jesus became a threat to that. So let me just kind of lay out for you uh, these three groups and how they kind of, why they were at each other, at odds with each other, and how they were kind of divided. So the Pharisees, remember we talked about this last week. The Pharisees, they wanted to resist Roman rule resist 
the influence of Greco-Roman culture and stay true to who they were as the people of God. Uh, they, 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 they gathered around the word of God in the synagogues and they sought for that to be the, the uh, rule of their life. And they, were too, they wanted to resist uh, the Roman influence in their lives. They believed in the afterlife. They believed in angels and demons. And they believed in the resurrection. The Herodians, they were theological kindred spirits with the Pharisees. They also believed in uh, afterlife, in the resurrection, in angels and demons, that kind of thing. Um, but they, on the other hand, they were people who were excited about the new thing, excited about embracing Greco-Roman culture. Sadducees, they were kindred spirits with the Herodians in both of them, that they wanted to embrace Roman culture as well. They were both uh, very politically savvy groups. But the Sadducees, they differed from the Herodians in that they, theologically, they were not on the same page, not anywhere close. Uh, the Sadducees, they were... Like, y'all have heard about us talk, talk about in history classes about the founding fathers. And we just all say, yeah, they were all Christians. No, they weren't. Uh, people like Thomas Jefferson, he was a deist. And a deist does not believe that God is involved in the normal, everyday activities of humans' life. That a deist believes that God created, and he stepped back, and he's letting things work itself out. That was the Sadducees. It was totally them. And so they only held to the first five books of the Bible. And so that's kind of the, the, uh, the similarities and differences uh, between those groups. Any questions on that? So last two weeks, y'all have asked no questions. So what I'm taking, about, uh, for, taking away from this is I'm just exceedingly clear. Is that, is that good? <laughs> All right, very good. All right, no questions. All right, so what I want you to do is I uh, want you to open up your Bibles to Mark. Let's see. Go ahead and put the next scripture up, would you? Yep, there it is. Turn to Luke 13.31. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just begin with that passage there. And then we're going to kind of work our way forward or backwards and then forwards uh, from that passage. So Luke 1331. All right. At that time some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. All right. So this is, here's, here's your question. Now, which Herod is this? Oh, man, I am clear. Good job. <laughs> so Herod Antipas, that's right. Um, now, 
it just this seems weird to me. Um, the Pharisees, there, there, there hasn't ever been, in, at least in the Gospels, uh, yeah, there were individual Pharisees that were, that were curious and eventually became followers of Jesus. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, those types. But as a whole, they were, they were at odds with Jesus. And so it just seems like an odd thing. Why don't they just say, leave this place because we don't like you? Well, it's always easier to blame another group. And so maybe Herod did want to kill him, but we also know that Herod wanted to see him and see a miracle. So it seems just a little bit strange. But this is what is curious about, about this verse. Just let's go back up. Remember, when you're reading scripture, it's always important to read it in context. What's going on before? What's going on after? And then that's when things really start to come alive. So I'm going to start reading in verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way towards Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now we upload, are only a few people going to go to heaven when they die? That's not what's being asked. Are only a few people going to enter into your kingdom and experience the freedom and the wholeness of the kingdom of God breaking in now? Remember we talk about the present evil age and the age to come? Another way to say the age to come is eternal life. So are all or just a few going to experience Eternity breaking in to the present and carrying us into the future. All right. He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will, he will answer, I don't know you or where you have come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first will be last. To some degree, all three of those groups of people had this belief um, that they were the ones who were closest to God. They were all centered, for the most part, in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem in Judea. The closer you were to Jerusalem, the prevailing belief was the closer you were to God. What was the criticism of the, of the disciples? 
speak with an accent, right? It's like, you're Galileans. Yeah, you're Jewish, but you're Galileans. Like, you think good come out of Nazareth, right? That's kind of the, 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 the thought process. And what Jesus is trying to, to get these people to understand is, mm, doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter which group of people that you're from or where you are located geographically. What matters is that you see this narrow gate, this way that I am living, this way of the kingdom that I am teaching, and that you embrace it. And you become so committed to it. I'm putting words into Jesus' mouth here. You become so committed to it that you have an undivided heart towards it. And it's like, yeah, we were there. We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But what he's, what he's saying between the lines is here, you did not embrace it. Because all of these groups, they were exposed to God with flesh on. Not God behind the temple curtain, but God with flesh on. The closest that they could possibly get to God. And they rejected him. And it's like he's saying, you're, you're missing it. You're missing this narrow way. Because to find the narrow way, another way I'm putting words into Jesus' mouth, is you have to let go of your false and broken agendas. And all of those three groups, the zealots too, they all had their agendas. Remember what we've been saying all the way through this section of our, of our uh, time together is that oftentimes we are blinded by our own certainty. What Jesus is inviting us to in this parable is to be sold out to this narrow way. So these are these stories are meant to be re- read together. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. All right, let's be honest. We get word that somebody wants to kill us. What are we going to do? Gonna make a wide girth, right? And so because Jesus himself doesn't invite people to this narrow way without first walking it for us. He will ignore this warning, but he will keep walking and keep walking towards his death. Where did, at the beginning, where did it say he was headed to? To Jerusalem, right? right? He replied, go tell that fox... None of the translations have it. Go tell that girl fox. <laughs> Don't think Jesus ever called people names. You're wrong. Uh, but basically he's calling Herod a pansy, right? Uh, go tell that fox. Think talking to, just about his scheming, his conniving ways. Um, being able, you know, like I get up here really early on Sunday mornings and probably about once a quarter I'll see a fox. 
And it's like they're always, there's no way anybody's ever catching that fox, right? That's, that's definitely the Herods. They always find a way until 70 AD, or yeah, until 70 AD, they always find a way to, to get out of things. This is what he says. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. Come on. His goal all along is to lay down his life. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow for the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. The narrow way or the narrow gate being a chick under the wings of Jesus. It's the same thing, right? All of this opportunity to go through the narrow gate, all of this opportunity to go under the wings, the guidance, the protection, the teachings, the kingdom of Jesus have been presented to all of these groups. But you were not willing. And why? Why were they not willing? For the most part, why were just like people like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, why were they willing and most of them not? Because they were blinded by their own certainty. Look, verse 35. Your house is left to you desolate. Tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I think that's definitely an inference to what is going to happen when he comes into Jerusalem uh, on Palm Sunday. And so, kind of is a, is a way to kind of sum up all of these groups, including the Herodians, it was their divided hearts that kept them from seeing and trusting and believing in what Jesus was trying to do in their lives and in the world. And all of those groups, with the exception that the Pharisees hung on a little longer, but the Sadducees and the Herodians, when 70 AD came around, they were all gone. Well, a few of the Herodians, and a few of them held out until 74. They all fled to uh, Masada. Masada was a place. Uh, has anybody been to Masada? Yeah. So it's, it's y'all, y'all know the story well. It's a place that carried the great belt because he thought, maybe one of these days I'm going to have to run for my life. And he never had to use it, but these people did. And by 74 AD, they were all gone. Every one of them were all gone. And the gospel, by 70 A.D., was spreading like wildfire and continues to spread today. And we, whenever we say, even in the church, whenever we say Herodians, we're like, who? The followers of Jesus. Yes. Get that. Questions? Questions? <clears throat> 
Hold on, we got to bring a microphone to you, Gary. Yes, sir. Why did the, even after Jesus died, why did the Jews not grasp, not accept what they had overlooked from the Old Testament prophecies? Why still the blind eye after he made the final sacrifice? It's a great question. Um, Again, they're blinded by their own certainty. And I think I said this last week, but it bears repeating. Uh, the Jews were a self-autonomous nation after the uh, the Maccabees for a hundred years. And what caused them to lose that? It's when there was division amongst themselves. They were winning the they were winning the war that started in '66. They were winning it, but the reason they lost it is why that the Zealots and the Sicarii could not get along. They, 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 it had to be their way or the highway, right? And so it's just like this, this, this history of the Jewish people that Jesus plops right down in the middle of, it just teaches us so much about are we going to completely give our life over to the values of the kingdom or are we going to insist an Adam and Eve way of life? Like, yeah, you've, you've plopped us into this beautiful garden and you've given us salvation and wholeness. But what uh, this other voice is offering sounds better. Let's try to hold on, keep, keep one foot in each world. So I wish I had a better answer, Gary, but it's just when, you, when you're unwilling uh, that's what Jesus said. But you were not willing. I mean, that's that's the place that we're all in every day when we're seeking to grow in our life with God. We'll be reading Scripture. It's a means of grace, a means of transformation. And we read something and we're like, I don't understand it. That, that, that could be one thing. I don't understand it, so I'm out. Instead of continuing to press and to seek and to ask questions. Or worse... We understand it, but the price that I'm going to pay outside here is too much. So just like lying. Uh, We are followers of Jesus. We always tell the truth. We are not people who spin the truth, but we let our yeses be yes. We, like we know this scripture, right? Yeah, we just just we can we can learn by trusting in Jesus to live a life without lying. Come on. And as we do, we will find out, oh, if I'm tempted to lie here and I choose to tell the truth that God will be with you and shelter you even when you were tempted to say, I don't think God will look out for me. Right Right here, and then we'll come here. Yeah, for good or for bad, why did Herod want to see Jesus perform a miracle? Oh, everybody hear that? I think just for, just like, we don't know for sure, you can't get into the, the mind of somebody like that, but I think 
we're all attracted to the wow. And so you hear, like, a leader of a group of people has a vested interest in, in somebody being able to feed masses of people. I mean, just think if Herod could tap into that power, how much popularity he would have. And so I think it, there, there is a, there, there's, there's most likely a uh, negative motive to what he, because Jesus says that. He says that about all the groups. You're always looking for a miracle. And when Jesus performs a miracle, what does he say most of the time? Shh. Don't tell anybody. Right? The miracle certainly pointed to his divine power. There's no doubt about it. But he wanted his word and the truth of who he was to be the main thing that drew people. That's what he said about the Samaritans. It's these people are following me without even seeing any miracles. Wow, so cool. Right here on the front. Would it be uh, similar to the fear of the unknown of what is is sacrificing for? And I, I like to equate the word fear as false evidence appearing real. Sure. And I think in our daily lives, we have opportunities, but the fear of making that choice, does money drive you? Does I mean, there's a lot of fear that we all associate in our lives. Yeah. Maybe the people... Even back then, <clears throat> had a fear of doing the right thing or the wrong thing. I would, I would think there's some fear because you don't know. You trust God, but there's still a little hesitancy. Of course, it, it's the fear of the unknown. Of course, but it's all false evidence appearing real. That's right. Thank you for that. It's really good. Yeah, and just think, it, it, like if you if you get into this place where and and, and I'm a recovering people pleaser. I think pastors in some ways make, good pastors are in some ways people pleasers uh, because we're able to kind of see the needs of, of people around us. And, but there's, there's this unhealthiness to it um, if you're not uh, responding to people's needs out of trust in God as opposed to the fear of what people will say or do if you don't respond in a way that they're going to. So just think about that, what people pleasers, all the Herods were. They're trying to please Rome. They're trying to please the Jews. You can't please both of those groups. And that's where, what ends up in a, such a bad place. Ruthie. Um, yes. It says, I tell you, I tell you will not see me again until. Say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's right. Is that a prophecy that will be fulfilled later? Well, yeah, that's, I think that's, that's what Jesus is getting them ready for. Uh, that he's, of course, quoting one of the Psalms there. But he's getting them ready for, you're not going to see me again until you basically see me in Jerusalem. Uh, and then the crowds are going to be declaring that. I think that's what it is. Yes. Anybody else? Good questions. Charlie, right over here. Yeah, I, I just wanted to give uh, Herod his due where uh, he's in an impossible situation. That's right. The Romans are good at destroying towns and civilizations. <laughs> All they want is quiet in Israel. That's right. And it's Herod's job to keep things peaceful. So if there's a guy who may make trouble... 
then he's worried about if he makes trouble, the Romans come in and destroy the whole place. So I've got to keep things peaceful for the Jews. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's got his own sympathies, but he's also looking out for his people, thinking the worst thing I can do is get the Romans down here to kill us all. Very good point. Well taken. Anything else? So I think a a good way to kind of end our time together tonight is to, for you just to be honest with yourself. Um, Just what is the state of your heart right now? Like you have choices and decisions that you make every day. And how easy is it for you to, to say, yeah, this is who God is. Those, the big five, right? This is who God is. This is, you know, Jesus, just that, that, that image of him gathering us as, as a hen gathers her chicks underneath her. This place of safety and protection. How easy is it for you to constantly and consistently say yes to Jesus and to the values of the kingdom of God? Or... Are you really being pushed hard? The the same, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The things, Charlie, that the Romans wanted more than anything is just be like us, because that's what keeps the calm and keeps things stable. Same thing with our culture. Just <laughs> fall into line. And value the things that we value as a culture. And the values of this world and the values of the kingdom of God are regularly opposed to one another. I feel like I've been kind of on a broken record the last, uh, last month or so. But where does that so easily get manifest in uh, our culture? Hate your enemies. Hope that they lose. Hope that you get everything that you can and our enemy gets nothing. Right? That's that's our values of our culture. And the values of the kingdom of God are love your enemy. Do good to them. Like, how sold out are you on that value? And how are you living that out when you find yourself face to face with someone that whenever you see them or they say something that your heart starts pounding. Use that heart pounding. Say, okay, Jesus, how can I love deeply in this situation? What is making it hard for you to trust the values of the kingdom of God? And just name that. And trust that Jesus will put his arm around you and that we together can walk through it together and maintain our faithfulness to God. Anything else? Let's pray. So God, it is our heart's desire 
to be in the center of your will, your love, your protection. And that as we leave this place and head home and go to bed and or we know that tomorrow will bring challenges to those desires. And I pray that you will give us the courage and the strength to live in the sweet spot of an undivided heart that can only be given to us by you. So Lord, that is our ask for you tonight. Give us that undivided heart that we may follow you and make your name known. In Jesus' name. And everyone said. Much love, grace, and peace.